welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Uh, can we give a hand for the worship team? They did a great job. Fear is not my future. You are. It's appropriate for this morning. I think that was wonderful. Excellent set, guys. Guys and girls. Um, there are three things. There are three things that I could uh, put out there that I, I would trust that most of us experience this. There's three things that we regularly as human beings, whether you are white or black, poor or rich, male or female, that will preoccupy your mind. It could keep you up at night, make it hard for you to go to sleep, make it hard for you to sleep at all. If, if these three things are on your mind, if they're troubling you, you're considering them, you want to know the results of answering any of these three questions. And these three things are, number one, clarity on decisions, right? You want to know, am I choosing the right school to go to? Am I choosing the right school to send my children to? Am I choosing the right job? Am I choosing the right spouse? Am I choosing the right way to raise my children? Am I using my money correctly? Clarity on decisions. Can we all say okay to that? Okay, number two, uh, control over the results. Control over life's happenings. You will think about it. You're laughing because you do it. And the thing is, I'll be preaching this sermon about how God's in control, and you'll be thinking about how to control your circumstances. You know why? Because the flesh is going to pester you with it. Dwelling sin is going to keep reminding you. Satan's going to keep reminding you. You don't know what the future is going to hold. You should fear the future. So you want control over the results. Number three, you want corporate, or you want to corporately be known. Now I say corporately be known. You're thinking, well, fame. You know, I want to be known by a lot of people, but, but I, I would disagree with that. I would say that corporately being known could mean just being known in community. Maybe between two or three people or even just, even just known by your spouse. Sometimes you feel like you can't be yourself with your spouse even. Everybody, all, all of us want to corporately be known. You know, Deanna and I, uh, I talk about this sometimes because um, I, I do human resources. So we talk about like roles and, and positions. And somebody might be given the position of administrator but then uh, a boss or, or an organization might give them different tasks over time that bring them outside of the realm of administration. And so even though their title might be administration, they're doing all kinds of other things and they could do it, but the fact that the organization just keeps giving them extra work to do demonstrates that they don't actually value the title they gave them, nor the person that they gave the role to because the person took the job to do administration. Why? Because they're gifted in administration. But now they're fixing taps and, you know, repairing carpets or whatever. I'm, I'm demonstrating to you what often happens in the workplace. But more than that, it's what happens sometimes to each and every one of us. We actually get into this realm where we want 
to be known. We want to be understood for who we are and who we've been made to be. So these things, these three things pester us. They trouble our souls. I don't think any of us are upside of this. So what's God's response to it, right? Well, obviously the easy thing in new life is just to say, trust God. There are sermons over, right? Trust God. Trust Jesus. But you don't want that, do you? It's more than that, isn't it? Because trust God is true, but how does it practically look like in my life? How does it get fleshed out with every day, with my families, with the decisions I have to make and the circumstances I have to face when I leave this place? So Paul has a prayer for the Philippian church. He has a prayer for the Philippian church that addresses these three things. You want to know what it is? Yes? Okay, good. You want to know what it is? I'm going to tell you anyway. It, it, this, this prayer is phenomenal. It, it, it is a phenomenal prayer. It's a prayer that grandparents should pray over their grandchildren. My mom is here today, so I'm going to tell her that. It's a prayer their children could, grandchildren could pray over, grandparents could pray over their grandchildren. Parents can pray over their kids. Pastors should pray over their congregations. Dads should pray over their sons. Moms should pray over their daughters. It's a wonderful prayer. Let's pray first before we look at it, okay? And I'll tell you what that prayer is. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. It's so good to to be together and to worship you in this way. And so thankful that today we can say, hello, peace, hello, joy, that we're not in despair. And that actually we're lacking nothing like your word says. A caution says we are made complete in you. So I pray that we would not only understand this today, hear this today, this knowledge, but also be able to understand it. As is in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you still want to know what that prayer is, right? Okay, I hope so. All right, let's look at Philippians, okay? I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 1. So we're looking at Philippians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 9 to 11. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippian church, but it's a prayer for us today. You can pray this over yourself. You can pray this over your kids. You can pray this over your grandchildren. Pray it over your workplace. And it's a, it's a prayer that we as pastors pray over you. And it is my prayer... Paul says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Two great words I love in the epistles. It helps us understand the word of God. Next comes this, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. This is a wonderful, wonderful prayer. Paul prays this prayer. He says, I want your love. Now this word love here is the word agape. So it's not your love because agape is divine love. That's what it means. There's philo love. In Greek, philo means a brotherly love that I can humanly have for another individual, for, for Chuck or for Tim or for Chris, right? So it's a brotherly love, but this is not what we're talking about here. In Greek, this is agape, so it's divine love. So your, Paul's praying, I want your divine love. I want your expression of God's love. 
Matter of fact, what we see here is a partnership. Paul's saying, I'm praying that your partnership with God's love, that God's love expressed in and through you would abound. This word abound is excess. It says, it, def- it means not just thriving or doing it, but abounding. It's already in excess. And then what does he say again? He says, abound more and more. So my prayer for you as a pastor, your prayer for yourself, your prayer for your wife, your prayer for anybody, what Paul says is this wonderful prayer is this, that God's love at work in your life would come in excess and then abound more and more and more. It's an amazing prayer for us to understand. See, what I've just given you is knowledge. I've given you something that you could say with your intellect, yes, I understand that, but now the next step is discernment. How does this now apply in your life? He goes on to say that with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I want to highlight something to you. All those three preoccupations I just mentioned to you are present in this verse. Just look with me. Approve what is excellent. What does that mean? God's love at work in your life will help you to approve what is excellent, will help you to make an excellent choice. God's love abounding more and more in your life is going to do what? It's going to fill you with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So fruit, it's this production. What's going to happen? God's love flowing out in your life is going to have a righteous production. The fruit of righteousness, God's highest and most excellent production in your life, his most wonderful work and results in your life will happen as you what? As God's love abounds more and more in you. And then lastly, that all this happens through Jesus Christ to what? To the glory and the praise of God. So I'm going to simplify it like this, okay? Applying God's love, applying God's love empowers us to approve what is excellent. It empowers you to make right decisions. It also allows his results in your life. And the last thing, it appropriates the glory. It helps us approve what is excellent, allow his results, and appropriate the glory. And the first thing I want to talk about right now is I want to talk about God's love helping you approve what is excellent. Right? And that's a direct response to all of us struggling with. How do we... How do I know what those right decisions are? And again, this is knowledge, right? I just gave you some knowledge. You, you, it's great for you to have the intellect. But what does Paul say? Not just knowledge, but all discernment. Look at this verse. How, how does God's power, God's love in your life empower you to approve what is excellent? He says it right here in this verse. Look with me right now at verse 9. It says, that your love may abound more and more with what? With knowledge and all discernment. So it's not enough for me to say, trust God, right? Now we need to know, with all discernment, what does that look like in your life? The word discernment can also be translated as judgment. So you have all of the ability to judge or perceive what to do with the information I just gave you. So one of my greatest struggles as a, as a young person in church was that I, 
Uh, I came to faith as a teen and, and I'm, I'm there in church and people are telling me all these wonderful things about God, but I would leave church and wonder, okay, that was fantastic. How does it apply to my context of life? How does it apply to being a, a high schooler and the school that I go to and the things that I face? See, the knowledge is great, but Paul's saying you need all discernment, right? To be able to figure out what that next step looks like. Um, this, uh, Great mathematician Alfred North Whitehead says this, intelligence, intelligence, other words, knowledge, is quickness to apprehend as distinct from ability, which is the capacity to act wisely on the thing apprehended. So it's nice for us to know about God's love, but God's love just on its own and within its knowledge is not enough for us to really experience it. We need to engage with. We need to apply what we've learned. We need to be invited into relationship. You know, my wife, we have this thing where she talks to me about this thing called listening. <laughs> she didn't know I was going to say this, so this is good. And, and for the longest time and most of my life, I thought hearing was enough. I heard what you said, and I could repeat what you said, but in earnestness, following what I've heard, there needs to be a demonstration that I listened. Hearing and listening are different things. Yes, I heard you about how to load the dishwasher. <laughs> but did I actually listen? Well, the, the result of listening would be in the fruits of what I did, right? Lady said, amen. But the next thing is that, yes, here's the next thing, because this is true discernment. True discernment is, yes, I heard about how to load the dishwasher, knowledge. And then I applied it and I did it, but I did it grumbling and complaining. Ah, fine, I'll do it your way. You know, and I load it like loud, like this. Did it your way. Is that actually listening? Is that actually discernment? Well, no, because it's not based on the presupposition. What's the presupposition in this verse? What's the foundation of this knowledge and all discernment? It's what? It's God's love. So even if I heard and I did the action the way I wanted to, if I'm not doing it based on God's love being demonstrated to me, then it's not love at all. If I'm not applying Ephesians 5 as a husband to love my wife as Christ loved the church, even loading the dishwasher could be a demonstration of God's love. Because I could slam it, but I uh, know. Okay. This is a very small way to show that I love my wife. Close it quietly and put it on extra dry overnight. Okay? It's, it, 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 this, is, this, is, this is love at work. And, in, and, and this is the marvelous thing because Paul's saying it's not enough for love to abound more and more. It, it's not enough for you to even know about it. 
The invitation is all discernment, and all discernment means an invitation to relationship with that love, to experience that love, and let that love work. And the thing is that love abounding more and more with knowledge and all discernment does what? It changes the way that you think. And the way that you think about yourself will, in fact, will, will change how you act. Because as a man thinks, so is he. And guess what? When God's love abounds in your life more and more, healing happens. Healing happens in relationships. Healing happens in marriages. Healing happens in families. Actually, it could change the course of someone's life. A father could go from being a total tyrant because the word of God says that children should obey their parents. So a father could read that and say, that's knowledge, and so I'm going to apply that knowledge without all discernment and be harsh with their children and put, put, put standards on them that they don't even achieve and come down hard on their children and correct them with cruelty. And they use the knowledge of God's word to do that. But there's no discernment based on the presupposition of God's love. So a father who understands the power of God's love and applies it in all discernment could change the direction of his children's lives. How many of us wish our parents did that? But how many of us have experienced parents who did? And it did change the direction and trajectory of your life. But let's just talk about making right decisions. Right? Approve what is excellent. Well, how does that work? Let me give you an example, quickly. My daughter's uh, school had a theme. Uh, the, the theme for the year. The theme for the year was, you are your choices. And at first that sounds okay, but it can actually be, conf- it can actually be confusing because if a child makes a lot of wrong choices, either by the power of indwelling sin or they just haven't been given the right direction and they make a lot of wrong choices and they can say, well, I'm a wrong person. I am wrong. I am bad. But the gospel turns that on its head. You are not your choices. You are who God made you to be. And God made you righteous. Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 20 and 21, he made you righteous. He didn't just call you righteous. He made you righteous from the inside out. Now you have a spirit, you have a heart, you have a desire to do good. Titus 2.14 says that, that you are now eager to do good works. And it's true. It's true. Now, even though you might make wrong choices every once in a while, no, you have a desire to do good. And you want to live that out. So we can say things like, you are, you are your choices, but it's not true. It's not true in that sense. So if you focus on God's love, here's the thing. If I focus on God's love, I focus on the fact that his love was so great that he not only gave his life for me that I could go to heaven one day, but he actually made me righteous so that I could experience what it is to be like him and make righteous decisions and approve what is excellent but also to be loved by him. That's the whole beauty of righteousness is that we could be in the presence of God. We could experience that, that the the limitation of sin has been removed and we can now go into his presence and guess what? He could invade your presence and live inside of you. 
So his great love now does what? It enables me to make choices without fear. Right? First John chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, we, uh, many of you know this. Let me read it to you, though. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has nothing to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you get this? Many of us are afraid to make decisions or we're up at night about things that we need to do or someone else needs to do or, or what choices you need to make. Why? Because you're afraid of the future. You fear punishment if you make the wrong choice. But instead, let not the motivation for decisions be fear. Instead, what's well, the opposite of fear here in this verse? It is love. Let God's love be the motivating factor for why you make a decision. In other words, you can go into whatever scenario, whatever you're, you're, you're facing, and say, I'm not my choices. I am loved by God. God loves me. He's going to take care of me no matter what I choose. And so now I can no longer make a choice based on fear, but I'm going to make a choice based on love and that he's going to care for me no matter what I choose. And then in that place, Open up your ears to hear from him so that he can lead you in the direction where he wants you to go. Because more often than not, fear is driving us away from the direction of what God wants us to do. Because we haven't been born to be governed by fear. Right? We've been born to be governed by love. Why? Because God is. So we allow his love to influence our decisions. I do not make a choice based on fear because I hate myself or I hate someone else or I fear the future. But I make a choice because I love God. I love others. And I know that God loves me and cares for me and cares about my future. It doesn't answer all your problems right here. I can't say directly for whatever you're facing that this is going to solve it in this moment. But I know the one who can and the children of God Romans says, are led by the Spirit of God. They're not governed by fear, but they're governed by love. But, but what's the next question, right? Because sometimes, sometimes God's best for us, when we choose what he wants, may not have the results that we want. And we might know in your heart what God wants you to do, but the results of it you also know will not be what you wanted or what you would have designed, right? So what do we do about that? Well, let's look at the next part of this verse. The next thing I, I want to point out to you from, from this word, it's Philippians chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 11. And I'm going to say verse 11a. You know, back in the day when I was in church, people would say verse 11a and then verse 11b, and I would be like, what do they mean? Which, it doesn't say that in my Bible. What, what, what is a fancy preacher talk, okay? So basically what they're doing is they're just kind of dividing up the verse. If you didn't know that, I'd, I hope this is life to you, because that used to trouble me. But anyway, <laughs> used to trouble me. As a kid, I was like, well, why, why? It's not in the Bible. Okay, so here, here Paul says this. He says, what, 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 what is love abounding more and more going to do? It's going to fill you with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And otherwise, this is just biblical knowledge I just gave you. 
It's just biblical knowledge. It's something just for us to know about. But let's apply now what we've learned. The presupposition is God's love. It's not just knowledge, but we need discernment. How do we apply this? What does this look like in your life for this fruit of righteousness to be expressed in and through you, through Jesus? Because look at the rest of that verse. It says it comes through Jesus Christ. This fruit of righteousness, these results. Well, we can align it very quickly with John chapter 15, verse 5, right? You've heard this multiple times. I think we're going to have it up on the screen for you, but I'll read it to you still. John 15, verse 5. Even if you know it, you you can just say it along with me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's, it's he who bears that fruit. He wants to do a good work in and through you. Apart from him, it is nothing. There's a lot of things that the world does that is good. There's a lot of things that are produced in the world that are good and they're wonderful. But we haven't been born, we haven't been, we haven't been led to a relationship with Christ to just do good. We've been called to excellent. Why? Because Psalm 18, verse 30 says that God's ways are perfect. God's works are perfect. We've been called to the excellent way. We've been called to excellence. Not in the way the world looks at it, but what God's way looks like. And sometimes to the world, God's way doesn't look like excellence. It might look like foolishness. Matter of fact, sometimes God's result of what he is working in your life doesn't look like that, look like excellence to you. You have another way. No, God, I would rather my children did this. Right? No, God, I'd rather my children chose this spouse. No, God, I'd rather my children went to this workplace or they went to this school. Or maybe even as a student, you might be thinking, ah, oh, God, that's not the church, that's not the school I wanted to get into when I graduated. Or that's not the results of the test that I prayed for. Where, where are you in all of this? But we have to understand here that Paul's saying God's love, which is the presupposition, abounding more and more in your life. God's love at work in your life is going to do what? It's going to produce Jesus's fruit, the fruit of righteousness. And this word fruit is the same word that is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. It is the fruit of the Spirit. The result's not necessarily circumstances, but the result is character. Your character is being shaped. No matter what's happening in the world, you're starting to look more and more like Jesus because this fruit of righteousness is not coming from you. It's coming from Jesus. And he's at work in you to do a good work, to reveal his glory wherever he's placed you. So maybe you're in a workplace or a circumstance that is not good and the world is looking at it and saying, oh, that's not good. And you're enduring every day with the strength that comes from Christ. And what, they, what do they see in you? They see you saying, hello, peace. Hello, joy. They're seeing you behave with gentleness when people are rude to you. And what are they seeing? Oh my goodness, 
Something powerful is at work in that person that I do not have because under these circumstances, I would not be able to handle it. I would react differently, but they're reacting and, they're in, and their character is being demonstrated to be something otherworldly. It's the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, through his spirit. He wants to produce this work in you. Some people trip over Galatians, it's not Galatians, sorry, Philippians 2. Paul goes on from this, from this part here, chapter 1, and goes on to chapter 2 to says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Why does he say that? Because you have to read the rest of the verse. I think it's two, uh, verse 19. It says that it's he that works in you to will and to work. Not even just the work itself, but the will to give you the, 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 the joy or the eagerness to do what is good, to endure what you are facing. And in that, no matter what the results, as his love is abounding in your life and you're focusing on his affection for you, it is not necessarily changing your circumstances, but it's changing you. And the fruit of God is at work in your life and people could see it. Your children can see it. Sometimes some of us parents are worried about, am I saying the right things to my unbelieving children? Am I making the right choices in front of my unbelieving family members? Sometimes God is just calling you to just focus on his love for you. Rest in his love for you. Receive his love for you. As you endure circumstances, your families are watching. They're watching him at work in you. And that could possibly be the most the greatest evangelistic appeal to them that you could ever make. Praise God. This is wonderful. Because Romans 8 chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says that yes, God works out all things for good. But what's the good there? What's the presupposition in that verse? You go on to uh, uh, verse 29, he says. Well, to be shaped and conformed into the image of Jesus. And what happens is that it is a reclamation of what God intended in Genesis. I think of Genesis 2, as he says, that his glory would spread over the whole world. That people would see God at work in us. They would see God at work in all of creation. They would see his glory. His glory would spread. So the issue is not, again, how we control results. The issue is what of the issue here is that we have been actually called to release the results and allow him to work so that people could see him at work in us. I want to give you a quick example of this before I move on to my next point. Uh, there's this guy, um, uh, Noel Redding. Noel Redding was the bassist for Jimi Hendrix and, uh, and the Jimi Hendrix experience. Jimi Hendrix is acclaimed to be the greatest guitarist of all time. I believe they should actually revisit that, but still. The greatest guitarist of all time. And Noel Redding, his bassist, um, and, and even if you see his, um, I think the, probably the first um, Jimi Hendrix Experience album, Joel Redding was actually a guitarist to start, and he was a trained guitarist. And so he got on the bass, and he was playing the bass because he, at that time, Jimi Hendrix didn't have a bassist, and so he would just kind of follow along with him. And he got all his fame from riding behind what Jimi Hendrix was doing. But Noel Redding, actually, and Jimmy Hedges had a bit of a conflict because 
This is an interesting thing between bass and, I'm gonna talk music for a bit. You guys okay with this? Okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna talk to this side a lot, so I'm gonna come over here. Okay, so basically, basically, you guys follow what you got me. So basically, like, with, with guitar, the electric guitar and, and bass, it's actually really challenging to go uh, back and forth. And I would say this only for the reason that a bassist has to do their best to stay in time with the drummer. Whereas the guitarist is doing their best at times to obviously keep the time, but to add as much notes or add as much flavor on top of what's happening. And so what can happen is that going from electric to bass can be really challenging because you don't know how to sit back and stay in the pocket. And you just compliment what the drummer is doing. And that's all you need to really focus on. And you're keeping the rhythm, but you're adding feel behind what's happening. Well, as the guitars might be carrying the melodies of what they're doing. So what happens at Noel Redding, actually, uh, this is debated amongst um, many music historians, was that he had conflict with Jimi Hendrix because he was always competing with the electric guitar, with the way that he was playing the bass. He was always competing with him and not sitting in the pocket as much. So in his later recordings, Jimi Hendrix passed on recording with Noel Redding again because he wanted a true bassist. A true bassist who knew who they were and knew what their role was and sat in the pocket and complimented what the drummer did. And you could hear in the later recordings that actually Jimi Hendrix is more free to do what he wants with the electric guitar because he doesn't feel like he's struggling anymore with the other instruments. So, no, so no, there's an actual noticeable difference. It flows, it feels more natural. Let me tie it back here. Sometimes we're competing with God for the control of the results. And we have forgotten what we were made to do. We have, been, we have forgotten that he is God. He is the one in control. He is the one that could be trusted. He is the one who wants to express himself in and through your life. And all we need to do is to sit in the pocket of, of his hand and trust him to do his thing. And what happens is that your relationship with Jesus starts to feel more natural and that the expression of God's love in your life feels more natural, sounds more natural, looks more natural than all of a sudden you realize that you're stepping out in boldness to do things in God's love that you would have never, ever done before. Why? Because you just learned to trust his ways instead of competing with him for the results. See, applying God's love empowers us to allow his results, empowers us to approve what is excellent. But the last thing here as we close is that it also empowers us to appropriate the glory. So let's look carefully at the rest of this verse. We're looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 11b. Okay, we split it in half, 11b. All right. So he says, all of this, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, be yourself as you approve what is excellent. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And, and for what? To the glory and the praise of God. I left the most challenging one to the end. Because this is a challenge for me. This is a challenge for me personally. Because 
Because I do struggle at times with being corporately known or feeling like I could really be myself. One of my greatest struggles as a teenager was just being myself with others or expressing myself adequately and knowing that I was safe to do so. I remember that struggle, but it's something I even sometimes bring into my adult life and even as a pastor. So we want to be corporately known. We want to be recognized. We want to be seen. But God says, guess what? I want my love in your life to abound more and more and more and more and more. So what? So actually, I get the glory and the praise. Sounds mean, eh? Well, let's, learn, let's look a little bit more at this quickly because this, this, is, this, is, this is surrender. This is true surrender. For all the years you've been in church and you heard people talk about surrender, surrender means nothing if it's just knowledge. You're going to find true peace in your life as a believer. You're going to find true joy, true love, true faithfulness at work in your life when you actually surrender, when you apply the discernment, judgment, and perceive and, and, and perceive adequately what it means to do this. When you interact with the truth that we've been called to surrender all glory and praise to him. That it's not about us being known by others so that we could feel known. But if first and foremost, it's about this, that your desire to be known, which is a desire that God gave you. And it's a good thing. Lori, it's a good thing. He gave you that desire to be known. And it's a good thing. But first to be known by him. He wants to satisfy that. He wants to satisfy that in your heart. And until that desire of your heart that is as vast as a black hole in space gets satisfied by the most eternal power in the world, which is God, you will always be hungering and looking for to be satisfied elsewhere. Rather than trusting him to do that work and to fill that gap. How does applying God's love to your situation empower you to appropriate the glory? It does this by looking again at our presupposition. The presupposition is God's love. If I'm focusing on his love for me, there is, there's no amount of loneliness. There's no amount of lack of recognition that will, that, that will, that will be able to compete with that. Because his love is boundless. It's completely, it's completely boundless for us. And if we stop and receive it, then those other things will start to look small. Not only that, but we also begin to trust that he's a provider. That whenever situations where you are feeling lack, and you're not feeling complete and being known and understood and seen, we could trust him to provide that for us. And you know what, and you know what the, the rub on this is? Is that there are famous people in the world who take their lives because they have so much self-hate. But they are famous. People all over the world have known them and applauded them, and they're full of self-love. The world is proclaiming affection for them, but yet inside, all they have is self-hate. Why? Because they know that who they are could never actually be fully known by the world because they could possibly be rejected. And the truth is that they would probably experience rejection. 
And then their livelihood of being famous would end. Everything that they've worked for would end. So they feel trapped in this world of no one could ever actually know who I am. And what does that say? I'm not lovable. I'm not acceptable. I could never be truly respected. I could never be truly cherished. And that just turns into drug addiction. It turns into something to mask the pain and, 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 and deal with the pain. And for some, it actually ends in suicide. Take their lives and hate themselves. But we can be on the other side too, where we're not known by everybody, but we still feel loneliness. No matter what, the truth is this. You have a desire to be known, and there's only one person who could solve that. His name is Jesus. He is the most powerful individual in the world. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to be lonely. He knows what it is to suffer and suffer with loneliness. <laughs> suffer in loneliness. And he knows you. Romans chapter 5 says that even when you were an enemy of God. Jesus died for you. He knows you. He knows your faults. He knows the things of your past that you hate. He knows the decisions that you made that ended up being rubbish, causing you pain and hurt and ridicule. He knows all those things, but yet he died for you, and he loves you dearly. First, we got to go to him to be known but guess what? What's the next thing that happens when we start to go to him? He opens our eyes to how he's providing people to come alongside you, to care for you, maybe in your loneliness. Maybe, maybe you're ignoring those who are there for you the whole time, and, you're, and he opens your eyes to that. And you can kind of go to those people and feel known and feel understood. But then even through that, He's beginning to reveal his glory through you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 to 20 says this. And I'm quickly closing here. He says this, he says, Or do you not know, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Can you say that? You are not your own. You are not your own. If you made that choice, if surrender isn't just knowledge, but surrender is something that you've received with all discernment, if God's love is not just knowledge, but it's something that you've received with all discernment, then you are not your own. What's the rest of the verse? You were bought with a price. And the price was the eternal unblemished blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say based on that information? So glorify God in your body. Give yourself over to his purposes and plans for your life to glorify himself through you. Whatever giftings you've been given, they're not just there so you can feel good about yourself. They're not just there so you can be known by other people. They're not just there so that you can put another trophy on the shelf. They're there because he wants to glorify himself through you. To his glory and praise. So what? So other people could see that. But don't worry, guys. He knows you. He knows your needs. He wants to appeal to your heart. And the presupposition is his love. That Paul says, 
I want it to be an excess more and more and more in your life. So you can do what? So you can appropriate the glory. You can release the results. You can, re- you can release the results of the decisions that you're making. You can give all the recognition to him and still be safe. Uh, just in closing now, these three preoccupations, you know, clarity, unright decisions, and controlling all the results, you know, corporally being known. They can trouble us. They can trouble our minds. They keep us up at night. But you could say, this is fantastic, Robin. I love all this, but I have trouble receiving his love for me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the wrong decisions I've made. You don't know the things I've done for glory and recognition. How can I now receive God's love? First of all, I want to pull you back to the presupposition. It's his love. Again, Romans 5, even when you are an enemy of God, he knew you and he pursued you and he made an invitation to you and you said yes to it and the angels celebrated. And guess what? To this day, he still looks at you as his little princess, his darling princess to be adorned with glory and to be cherished for all time. And even when time has ended, he's still going to love on you. He has adorned you as his little prince, his mighty man of valor, that he has every desire to honor, that in his right time, as you trust in him and you endure, he will raise you up and he will share his glory with you and he will share his power with you and he will work through you and he will honor you as his precious most wonderful son for all time and even when time is over. This is a wonder of his love for us. So I would say this. I would encourage you to risk in at least one area. Maybe one of those three is yours today or tomorrow. Risk. Trust him. Trust in his love to allow his results, to appropriate the glory, to approve what is excellent. I would say the other thing is let someone else pray for you. Maybe you're having trouble receiving his love. Let somebody know. Don't go into the shelter of self-hate. Deal with it by yourself. Let somebody else in. Struggling receiving his love. Have someone else pray for you. Own your identity as a dependent child of God. Let's read this wonderful prayer again. It's my prayer for this church. Then we're going to close, okay? And Paul says to the Philippians and to New Life Fellowship of Kitchener, and it is my prayer that your agape divine love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, just being yourselves, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Jesus, I just pray right now that we'd be able to receive this 
that we'd be able to trust in your boundless love for us. That you made us your, your children. That we'd receive your praise in this moment. Your delight for us. And that would begin to change our hearts. And I pray as we leave this place, you would call to our attention areas where we can risk, at least one of these areas. Risk trusting you, risk trusting you. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.